This episode contains material which may be considered extreme or offensive to some. While we hope everyone is always willing to learn more about the world around them, we wanted to give you a heads up before the episode begins. Enjoy the show. Welcome to For What It's Worth. I've known about furries for a long time before this experience, but I'd never seen it in action. I I, I see the furries at the cons, and I ne- I'm always wondering who is in there. That's the first thing I'm wondering. Is it a man? Is it a woman? It's an introduction to and exploration of the furry fandom. Wait for just one second until yeah. you guys have pulled out. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> we're pulling out right now, so it's, uh, it's a slow process. <laughs> Who got their coffee crisps last weekend? Oh yeah, and like the mechanism that makes the fire blow out of his mouth? That's probably four grand, right? Not those two fools ruin tugs. <laughs> they don't live in the land of awesome like I do. Have you had a party emergency? Got one right now. <laughs> <laughs> when is the new Animaniacs? For five and a half hours, I got a party emergency. They're too busy hosting the show you're about to listen to. Yeah, you know, bend it to the right here. Welcome to For What It's Worth, Season 6, Episode 16. Man. 16? 16. Okay. I just didn't change it up here. Episode 16, (laughs) it's accurate now. Does it really just happen with lonely farmers and a goat? I'm Tugs Puppy Bear, and over there, freaking out about the topic name, is Ruchi Lexico. Uh, um, Tugs. What? What what is this word? What is... Zootopia. People who are into Zootopia. Okay, Z- Zootopia. <laughs> and, and what is this? What is this other word? Um, bestiality. It's what? Emma Watson after she was in Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, what have you been up to? Well, I've been up to a lot of shit. A lot. Good. Good report. Now yes. ask me what I've been up to. What have you been up to? Uh, <laughs> no, seriously, what have you been up to? <laughs> Well, my landlord decided to be a dick and is kicking us out of our home. They decided to sell it, um, sell their house. So we're left with like two months to find a place to live. And it's been very stressful. And um, I think that we found a place that we're going to go. It's it's going to be much more expensive for us. But what I'm excited about is... After all this time, me and my husky finally get to be one-on-one alone. And then they'll realize that, in fact, they are in a sexless marriage. Oh, you're so mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> other than else? that, I've been playing lots of Switch games. I just barely <laughs> all started. Of those, oh, so many Switch games. All five. I just barely started playing uh, Wonder Boy. And whoa, it whoa, whoa. is amazing. Whoa. whoa, whoa, back up. How are you done playing Zelda? Like, it's huge. Well, like, how are you done? Do you know what I did? I walked from one side of the map, not diagonally, just corner to corner because I was on an airplane. It took the whole plane ride. That's cool. Two you hours, know, two hours. There's other games to play than just Zelda. Well, oh, I forget. You're just going to play Binding of Isaac till you die. Well, I haven't played Binding of Isaac that much. Have you even played it? No, because I've been playing Zelda, walking edge to edge of the map. Are you here? Did you not just hear what I said? 
<laughs> so what have you been up to, Tugs? Uh, getting annoyed that I can't preload Mario Kart and Puyo Puyo Tetris. <gasps> I've been playing the demo. Oh, I, my gosh. Want, I have the whole game. Do you want to play it? I have it for PS4. I know. I've played it with you before. I know, I know but they're adding more shit. Um, but it's in, it's in Japanese. It is, and there's more content for the U.S. version. Uh, I went to BabsCon because of democracy. Uh, and, you know, I'm okay supporting other groups, so I went and had a good time, and I cured my sobriety Saturday night, ran into a couple furries I knew there, um, and as furries who go to FC know, Klingons have uh, the party at FC. They also go to BabsCon, and they also know that uh, you have one drink and you're done. Klingon drinks knock you on your ass. I had four, and oh, I was up till five in the morning. Sounds like you probably had so much fun. I I, I enjoyed my. Is Saturday. that when you were like randomly messaging me shit? Uh, <laughs> no, it's when I was taking pictures of it and sending it to you. Hmm. Mm. That was why. good. It was good. Uh, a couple friends came by, and I got to try foie gras for the first time, or foie gras, if you uh, don't know what that is. Uh, it's uh, fatty goose or duck liver, like they they literally like chain a goose or a duck up and stuff them and i don't really uh like to think about how they make it but it, it's a delicacy and it tastes like steak fat but it's a lot uh lighter it was so good i'm just i'm just judging you i don't care <laughs> judge away so what's up what else is up what have you done uh well that was that was pretty much the bulk of it i've been surviving work so that's uh, no one wants to hear about that uh, and playing with the Overdrive track I have now. I bought an Anki Overdrive, which is like Mario Kart slot cars. I think I, I can't remember if I've talked about it. Have I talked about that? No. So, do you remember those shitty Tyco slot cars in the 80s? Uh huh. Yeah, like everyone hated them because, like, you'd have to snap them together and, like, the wires would break or the brushes. You know, it was just, it A was hassle. cool, but it, like, it was like your dad's thing. It was like, okay, dad, that's cool. Like, Pong was cool. And, like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, so, this company called Anki, uh, is a robotics company in California and they took the, uh, that concept and they redid it all. So track pieces don't have like little slots in them or anything, right? They're just like laminated polymer track that magnetically slapped uh, slap snap together. And then you have the cars and they have um, IR printing on the track that the IR cameras on the cars can read. So they know if it's a curve or straight or whatever, um, and then you use your phone as, as the controller. So like you can, you know, pivot your phone and it will make them change lanes and stuff and control the speed and whatever, but they have weapons, virtual weapons. And so you can like blast the other people off the track or make them start driving backwards or stop them and do races, <laughs> but you can change the track as much as you want during on the, on the fly. Yeah. So like between races and stuff. Oh, okay. So it's actually really fun. So it's like Mario Kart slot cars without any of the shitty technology. That sounds like so much fun. I, I know. I've spent too It's expensive. I, I, I can't believe how expensive it is, but it's so much fun. Uh, and now I have expanded my set ridiculously. I bought the jump kit and the collision kit because nothing beats two cars going like one million micro cars per hour, you know, like because of the scale. And then they like bash into each other and like fly off into outer space. And like you're five going, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> you know and then like the other car comes along and just like uses its weapon and blasts the other car off and you're like i'm going to win it's pretty good how heavy is how heavy is it like all together not very it's like a few pounds oh it's super light yeah so that's what i've been up to and now we're gonna do this 
<laughs> You're not ready. <laughs> Will he reuse another one? Is he ready? Is he going to bed with pastries again? It's Ruse Cookie Time, not sponsored by Betty Crocker. All right, well, let's see what today's fortune has for us. It says, fun fact, trees are really, are just really, really old people in bed with a cookie. Ew! What? Trees are what? Fun fact, trees are just really, really old people in bed with a cookie. Uh, can you just imagine, like, little, you know, the, the skin flaps? All right, break time. <laughs> Today, we will be doing a split interview show. Now, we've done one before. Uh, it was before, I think, the first BLFC. So, you know, you're going to hear the show. It's going to sound a little different, but hey, why not try something new every now and then? We wouldn't be this show if we weren't. And uh, we also have two guests that, for uh, obvious reasons, or what we hope are obvious reasons, have chosen to alter their identity to protect the innocent. That sounds that sounds really weird when I say that in context. Um, so, our first guest is going by Keon today. So, Keon, first question for you is, why did you choose to pick a pseudonym for today? Well, it comes down in the end to uh, I am beginning to have too much to lose. I've historically been super open about my uh, zoophilia. Uh, I told my parents. I told my bishop. I told uh, everyone around me. I put it on my website for everyone to read. <laughs> I got fired over that. Uh, I just kind of left it out there as who I was for a very long time, but I've become much more of a professional lately where, you know, I make enough money that having that disrupted seriously would be inconvenient for me and the people that I care about. So I want to put a little bit of isolation there now. So I, I can't think of any industry where like if being in, uh, into zoophilia would be okay unless of course you're into the zoophilia movie industry right is there any industry where that would be okay that you know of well i can tell you from personal experience that that particular industry you mentioned is entirely okay with it i worked there <laughs> <laughs> well it exists so there we go there it exists <laughs> the uh as for in general they don't usually care what you do in your own time. It's like, oh, you like to putt play or you like to, you know, go leather or something. Nobody cares. Uh, just don't tell them about it. Uh, something about anything that makes people start tweaking about uh, consent. Yeah, they're not very happy with it and they get serious concerns. Moving on, we are going to continue our split interview again with someone operating under a pseudonym named Bosco. Bosco. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. So, Bosco, first of all, can you tell <laughs> us who you are? You just told them. I know, but who are you? Like, what? What are uh, you? What I'm a rat. species are you? <laughs> species? Yeah, I'm a rat. Bosco the rat. Why alter my identity? Oh, because, well, um, being a zoophile is kind of a, a dangerous sexuality to have, and 
uh, not only, I guess, our country here, but generally speaking on the internet, it is um, certainly something that is vilified in general. Um, we, of course, have an issue with doxing from Anonymous. There is a group called Op Beast who used very underhanded tactics towards zoophiles, uh, including, uh, very interestingly, you might not know this, uh, they did a campaign uh, in to make bestiality illegal in, uh, what is it, Denmark, where it used to not be legal. In fact, uh, when they first presented it, it was like, hey, Animal Ethics Board of Denmark, should we, or is it, yeah, should we make bestiality illegal? And they said, we've considered this, and about five to one, we say, no, it shouldn't be illegal. There are reasons why this uh, would be harmful to make it illegal. Uh, and so this group, the Op Beast, spread rumors about animal brothels, which even the Danish, Danish Ethics Council looked into and could not find evidence of. If you look for it online, you won't find any primary sources referencing it, only like tabloid type of things. And so they made this big, you know, anti-zoo push, citing animal brothels and abuse. They would, for instance, use pictures of animals being abused in non-sexual situations, coupled with propaganda against uh, zoophiles, which they called beasts themselves. They basically, here's something that you'll find that is a common thread in uh, doing bad things to people, and that is to make people less than human. Because as soon as you make someone less than a human, you can justify doing all kinds of awful things to them. Uh, so that was the tactic, is to spread lies about animal brothels, dox people and out them to their co-workers and to their uh to the police and stuff like that and also uh to uh, post pictures of animals generally being abused and linking them rhetorically to uh zoophiles abusing animals which none of the pictures that they used were actually of cases of sexual abuse uh and in the end they were able to First of all, get a lot of zoophiles in trouble. They were able to ban bestiality in Denmark, uh, and they consider and continue doing some really awful things today. So, uh, long story short, it's not exactly a safe sexuality to come about come out as in this day and age right now. It's safer than it was, I'm sure, uh, but right now it's definitely not something you just go around telling people. Gotcha. So we have a lot of emails and we, uh, we tried to make sure we had input from across the board. We have a lot of emails for, uh, for it. We have a lot of people against it. We have a lot of people who are in the middle. Um, the first email we're going with is, uh, from Tucanus and this one, he's trying to, I think, get some definitions out there. And I know you have these emails. I don't know if it's Tucanus or Tocanus. I may have typoed that. Uh, sorry if I got it wrong, but um, I'm going to let you read that, Keon, if that's all right. This is Tocanus's email. Mm -hmm. Greetings, Rue, Tugs, Koru, and any guest that may be on your show. Hello. I am your druidic feral fox, Tocanus. I have been listening to your show for a few months now as a reason to take a break from the rather infamous podcast known as Furcast. 
I've been around the furry fandom officially around four years now, though I've had my interests for five or six. But enough about me, let's get to the topic at hand. Zophilia and bestiality is quite tightly linked with each other, but not exactly all the same. Zophilia is actually the sexual fixation towards animals, while bestiality is the physical <coughs> act. You can be a zoophile and not be into the physical act of bestiality. Same is true of the latter. I guess zoophilia is quite prevalent in the fandom. In your previous episode, fursexuality was mentioned. But are anthropomorphic animals non-human? What about the porn of anthros versus ferals that is considered bestiality? Yeah, we have seen things. That is quite debatable. We simply can't know if a real-life animal experiences pleasure or not. They just do so as a means to procreate. However, much of the art is different from real life. Anthro characters are sentient and sapient. Even some ferals, such as myself, are sentient and sapient. If we are basically animals with human characteristics, does that remove us from the category as non-human? That is where I draw a blank. We are animals, yet we are human at the same time. I say zoophilia in the fandom is quite significant. I mean, we dress up and role-play as animals for crying out loud. Do I consider bestiality as part of the fandom, though? No, because we simply aren't beasts. Thanks for reading. I'd give you cookies, but it appears that some mysterious bandit keeps taking them all and only leaving a few crumbs. Also, Tugs, have you considered if you are a Care Bear cousin instead of just a hybrid? Ah, uh, but I jest. Blessings of the Mother Earth Mother upon you, Tokanis. I don't like Care Bear cousins. <laughs> They're cash grabs. They're cash grabs. So, in Tokanis' email, uh, mm -hmm. there are definitions of zoophilia and bestiality. So, how do you define the two? Uh, well, I, I, I think bestiality is an act, and zoophilia is a sexuality so bestiality is the act of actually having sex with an animal uh best no yeah bestiality is that act and then zoophilia is a sexual attraction towards uh animals uh and zoophilia also comes with a certain burden of responsibility uh the zoophile community takes great pains to impose uh, a sort of self-discipline about interaction with animals uh, very big on no harm. It has to do with the attraction, the physical part versus the emotional part. You'll find a lot of people who are interested, even in human sexuality, where they simply don't have sex or they like to have sex of one kind, but they're fine having relationships with the other gender. Um, it's the same kind of thing in that kind of a split. Uh, there's humans that have relationships with other humans and the animals are just a kink or or uh, or some fun fun sex times uh other of them are like i'm not interested in people at all i will simply have my dog or my horse or whatever and uh that's perfectly fine it's interesting that horses tend to be the go-to if it's not a dog <laughs> i've just i've just always have noticed that it's domestic right those are our most domesticated animals, dogs and, and horses. Before we get to Sparks' email, which we actually broke into two parts, um, the first thing that I, I... If people haven't turned off the, the podcast by now, I don't know why I can't talk today, um, is 
for a lot of people, the thought of having any kind of sexual interaction with an animal is just super, super off-putting. Have you run into that in conversation with people? The matter of whether somebody can be sexually aroused by a particular activity or idea is one I'm actually writing a novel about. <laughs> uh, in this case, I have... Uh, but I think that the people tend to be less hedonistic, uh, less imaginative in that direction. Uh, they're they're much more concerned about the the relationship between them and the person they're having sex with. Uh, there are people who are just interested in the object, and I think that makes more. It's easier for them to imagine it. Uh, that said, I think that anyone could imagine it if they're led along the path to that the mental there's a mental mindset around the interaction that makes it sexual and uh, and arousing if the, if you get to there it's obvious if you have never been close to that yeah you might have this revulsion response it's it's an interesting uh uh bit of human men- mental uh systems isn't it mm-hmm yeah, it's um, it's a social moray in a lot of Western society. I don't even know about the rest of the world, honestly. Um, I think it's fairly common, but that's just anecdotal. I, I can't say it like with the confidence I would a lot of other things. Um, but Sparks' email, um, it, we like I said, we broke it into two parts. Um, he starts out with the definitions too. So he says, in the zoo community, we use the term zoophile and bestialist to mean different things. A zoophile is someone who is both sexually and emotionally attracted to animals, much like regular people are attracted to their partners. Zoophiles have their pet as their partner, and sex is only one way of expressing it. A bestialist is someone who is attracted to animals only sexually. They may still like animals like regular people, but they do not love them as though they would love a human partner. They get a bad rap for just wanting sex and being abusive, but that's not necessarily the case. They are just sexually attracted to animals without the emotional bond. Zoophilia related to the fandom. Despite what outsiders think, zoos are only slightly more prominent in the fandom than the population at large. The main difference is that roughly half of the furry fandom are either neutral to the idea or supportive of it. That is starkly different than the population at large. From personal experience and from talking to many zoos, both open and closeted, when someone is really into feral porn, they are either a closet zoo or they are repressing their feelings. I'm not saying everyone who likes feral art is like that, but I have not met a single person who contradicts this. Some of you won't like to hear this, but at furry conventions, there are zoo parties. They may or may not actually bring their pets, but they generally like to hang out with each other. It's very common, actually. Zoos aren't mean people generally, but they're very protective of themselves and their hidden identity. They usually don't give outsiders a chance because they have been burned too many times. If you have a zoo friend, which you probably do, you would see they're usually kind and compassionate people, not monsters wanting to torture small creatures. My personal experience, I'm an inactive bestialist, which means I do not do the deed, as I do not have any partners around. I, however, was active in the past. I'm not emotionally in love with animals, but I love them in the way you love a close friend. Interesting, with humans, I'm strictly gay, but with animals, I am a solid bicycle. So, lots of points in there. What was, Did anything speak to you? I like to think of it more as the emotional component, and as negative as people think of bestialism, bestialist as a, as a word bestiality that uh that is the actual physical act much like uh well pounding butts and giving hugs they're they're different things 
pounding butts and giving hugs. I feel like it's a sticker. Uh, it does. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were so many things in here. So, um, I have been to these zoo parties, by the way. So they do exist. They absolutely do, and they, of course, the community is protective. They don't just let anyone in uh, for a very good reason. Where is the boundary between morality and just like just the legal issues? Like, what you, I think you touched on some here, but like, what are the legal issues? I mean, other than than what what did you say? Anonymous, the anonymous people, and Denmark. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, let's talk about in the U.S. laws that outlaw all this. Most places in the U.S., generally speaking, we struck down sodomy laws uh, and bestiality was struck down at the same time. And it, uh, usually they're prosecuted in other things like animal cruelty laws and obscenity laws. Uh, when we started bringing back bestiality legislation, um, we continue to use the biblical law language things like abominable acts uh you know crimes against nature things like that only one law in the u.s that i know of right now is in washington state and only that law references animal cruelty in relation to uh making bestiality illegal uh and even it does a really bad job of it so what you find is legally speaking is that using the broad biblical language to punish bestiality where it's not legally speaking an interest of the animal's well-being it's morality it is imposing moral values on sexual acts in legal context i hope that makes sense and how how does this play into the fandom well um the fandom actually I think is a very a very sexually open place, which is great. It's actually fantastic. It, it is um, kind of a, a hallmark of the openness that the millennial generation is having with sexuality, uh, polyamory, uh, open relationships, uh, you know, a responsible but open sexuality. And we also combine that with animal physiology. And in doing that, you'll find, first of all, people are, are people appeal to this, even non-furries, or people who do not identify as furry can appeal to the sexuality of a, uh, uh, a uh, anthropomorphic creature uh, because there are certain traits that we share with them. Uh, but it also appeals to the bestial nature of our sexuality, uh, animal anatomy, and things like that. So you'll find that uh, the fandom is a pretty uh, there is some interest that align between the zoophile community and the fandom so there are people who are in the fandom who are zoophiles uh, and I would suggest that there is a fair number of them it's kind of hard to say because no one talks about it it's not something you speak of openly uh, and you only find out by happenstance, usually. Um, now there are there are groups you can join, uh, social groups, thanks to things like Telegram and stuff like that, or, or Twitter. But generally speaking, people don't speak these things out loud. It's kind of like a hush-hush um, thing that is 
incredibly. It's like, it's like okay, let's say this is the 1950s and you're on Broadway. Uh, it's understood that people are probably gay, but no one talks about it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, so it's kind of like that. That's kind of the undercurrent in the fandom as well. So the one thing that um, I think is important to put out there is, is it fair to say that every furry convention has a zoo party and that furries are going to furry conventions to have sex with animals? And yeah. Okay. And why is that not a fair statement to make? Well, for one, the number of, of zoos that are communicating with each other sufficiently to coordinate a party is not such that they would uh, happen at every furry convention. I mean, there's furry conventions that are not very large at all. Okay. <laughs> They're probably not going to have one. You go to, you know, Anthrocon or, or you know, Further Confusion or these large ones that happen in, in areas of historically high internet um, world. You'll you're going to get more of that. Um, there's also the factor that uh, although there are communicating groups of zoos, there is a whole lot more zoos that don't even dare communicate at all. So they never do coordinate up for a meet. Okay, so I I love playing. I love being um, <sighs> taking this side, but That's isn't right. it just gross? Isn't what? this? <laughs> what do you mean? You know, no, isn't isn't bestiality and zoophilia just gross? I gross mean, how? It's what what specifically? Like, are you talking about smell? Are you saying like Afro buttholes? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm just I'm just being very general and saying, isn't it gross? And the, you can expand you on ask. it. You know, sex is gross to a lot of people in general. Uh, that sort of same argument can be used toward uh, from straight people towards gay people. Gay sex is gross. Like, fucking in the butt. Doesn't your dick get poopy? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so sex can be gross, but to... And you know what? If you decide for yourself that you think bestiality is gross, that's perfectly fine. The problem comes when you legislate it as something that's gross, and therefore you shouldn't do it. So Um, what what about diseases? Like I have heard, I've heard that there are, you know, doing stuff with an animal can cause you a lot of harm, but also could cause them a lot of harm as far as diseases because of the two. Go ahead. Um, There are zoonotic diseases that animals can transfer to humans, and there are some bacterial diseases that can be transferred back and forth. Uh, However, most animals that are involved in sexual relationships with humans are domesticated. Uh, and as such, the risk for disease lowers because there is an interest in making sure your animals are healthy. Uh, either whether you're on a farm and your animal husbandry, you know, you, you get them checked out. Uh, and you kind of generally know that if your dog is sick, you're probably not going to have sex with your dog. You know? I say dog because they're really easy to kind of point at as a as a human companion. But whatever animal that you're dealing with is usually you usually don't go out into the woods seeking uh, the the uh, the perfect mate. I have played Breath of the Wild. Well, in Breath of the Wild, it would 
I would suggest that Link should probably be in wolf form if they're going to. Uh, uh, this is going to fun places. <laughs> oh my! Oh, oh, oh my. you know, you, you just get out that wolf amiibo, and the two of them could honest, just like, do stuff at, together. Into, if and, I was like, and, I would date the, the first boy that can turn into a wolf because that would be awesome. <laughs> Hailing Frequencies Open, Smokescale Aquatus here with another round of news for you. As of Wednesday, April 26th, here are your space headlines. On April 18th, an Atlas V and the 401 configuration launched from Cape Canaveral. It carried the SS John Glenn, the latest Cygnus resupply vehicle named after the deceased space pioneer and U.S. Senator. It carried 7,500 pounds of cargo to the ISS, arriving a few days later on the 22nd. This is the final time a Cygnus will fly on top of an Atlas V for the foreseeable future. All other launches will be atop Orbital ATK's revamped Antares rocket unless plans change. Around a third of the cargo weight was vehicle hardware for inside and outside the station. Another third, or a little less than that, was crew supplies, personal effects, food, and the like. And then another, just less than a third, was dedicated to science, experiments, hardware, and instruments. The remaining 200 or so pounds was EVA gear, Russian supplies, mainly food, and computer resources. The launch went smoothly, putting the freighter into orbit for its four-day chase to catch up with the station. While it won't be the last Cygnus launch, it will be the last launch to be called out by George Diller. He's been calling out launches for almost 40 years and has seen some historic missions, including the launch of Hubble and all her service missions. He called the launches of Cassini, Pathfinder, Spirit, Opportunity, and Curiosity. He even called the launch of Atlantis on STS-135 the final shuttle flight. I still get chills hearing him as soon as liftoff is called out saying, on the shoulders of the space shuttle, America will continue the dream. Thank you for your hard work, George. We'll miss you. Two new crew members have arrived at the ISS. They launched aboard a Soyuz from Kazakhstan and saw a smooth flight all the way to docking. Usually, a Soyuz carries three, but that third seat was left empty for Expedition 51 Commander Peggy Whitson, who extended her stay on station recently, even breaking the record for most days in space for a U.S. astronaut. She'll return to Earth on this Soyuz, so they needed to leave a spot open for her. As commercial crew vehicles come online, this won't be as big an issue. Veteran cosmonaut Fyodor Yurchikin and rookie flight engineer Jack Fisher were welcomed aboard to join the crew after a six-hour transit from launch to dock. Jack Fisher even went on the record describing launch, his first ever, as a burrito of awesomeness smothered in awesome sauce. It's official. I like this guy. Cassini's grand finale has begun. Recently, the probe made a series of small maneuvers that will put it, eventually, on a collision course with the upper atmosphere of Saturn. But it's still going to make several more orbits before that happens. It's currently passing between the innermost rings and the cloud tops, taking amazing images and gathering all kinds of data this course will actually permit the probe to build a more accurate model of how much mass is in Saturn's rings. No other probe has flown this close to the gas giant, and while it's gathering amazing data about Saturn, Cassini is also gathering amazing data about the moons as well. Recently, scientists announced that the probe's instruments had detected hydrogen gas coming from hydrothermal vents deep under the icy surface of Enceladus. This is significant because it could mean the existence of microbes, that's right, possible extraterrestrial life deep under the frigid oceans of Saturn's moon. This information also makes Jupiter's moon Europa that much more interesting, since the models suggest that the Jovian moon is showing similar signs. Thanks to Cassini, we may have found the smoking gun for the existence of life off Earth. 
Cassini wasn't done after Enceladus. She snapped photos of another weird moon, similar to Pan in a previous episode. This moon is Atlas, and it has a similar disk shape to it. The probe passed within 7,000 miles of the small moon, orbiting just outside the A-ring, the outermost ring of Saturn, showing a bulbous middle and then a flat disk running around the perimeter, not unlike Saturn herself. The photos Cassini took are pretty amazing, go check them out. And then, to begin the end of her grand tour of the Saturn system, Cassini made one last close pass by Titan, and was able to collect the last few pieces of data scientists hoped to grab before the opportunity escaped them. Given that Cassini lifted the veil on this mysterious moon, it's only fair that she get to have one more parting moment with this world she helped unmask. Expect to hear more about Cassini as she spirals closer and closer to Saturn's cloud tops in the coming months. A smooth launch of China's Long March 7, their second most powerful rocket, saw the first flight of their unmanned resupply and refueling freighter, the Tianjiao-1. It was put into orbit without incident, and just two days later docked autonomously with Tiangong-2. This is an important milestone for the Chinese space agency. This demonstrates their ability to service the station, supply it, fuel it, and not require crew aboard to do so. This was also the largest, heaviest spacecraft China has ever launched, slightly bigger than the single module that currently makes up Tiangong-2. If they keep up with their rate of success, China should see their new station completed by 2022, able to support crews of three with expeditions lasting as long as six months. I wish them only the best of luck. I can't wait to see what they do with this station. Recently, ESA was forced to suspend all launches from French Guiana as the local residents began to protest the living conditions. All space center operations halted as blockades were set up to close roads in and out of the facility. The French government began negotiations with the people of French Guiana, trying to reach an agreement that would permit operations to resume. And it sounds like they finally succeeded. Part of the agreement was an immediate 1.1 billion euro stimulus to improve public safety, education, transportation, and other issues. With operations resuming, an Ariane 5 is waiting to be rolled out to the pad with launch scheduled for May 4th. This and two other launches waiting just behind it are actually going to fill a gap that originally existed in the Kourou launch schedule. Meaning for now, the facility is going to be extremely busy trying to adhere to the manifest. I'm happy to hear the protests have ended, and I hope the stimulus helps the people of French Guiana address their concerns. That's all this time. For more on space and space-related matters, check out the social media for all the agencies and companies mentioned. And don't forget to check out my long-form podcast, Committed to Launch, at committedtolaunch.com, and at launchcommit on Twitter. If you've got questions about space, send it on in. Until next time, this is Smokescale Aquatus saying keep looking up, space fans. Fifty Shuds of Grey, the furry edition, season two, is brought to you by Reddit. Go read something on there. It's hotter than this shit. That was a special write-in edition joke, ladies and gentlemen. Don't worry. One of these days we'll explain to you all the in-jokes. And once that day comes, ooh, so will Anna. Today's trick, we picked a random page. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? When you hear the tone... Flip the page. Let's begin. Bing! My heart slams against my chest, and the butterflies escape from my stomach into my constricting throat. And the question is asked that all of us want to know the answer to, why is that hot? It's actually in the book with the why is that hot. Go seriously. You know, you could actually, you could Google for this stuff, ladies and gentlemen. It's amazing. We're actually reading from this crap. 
It's impressive. Who knows why? He fills my cup, and I drink practically all of it. Chastened, I stare up at him. Got your attention now, haven't I? Oh, another drink of booze in my glass? Hell yes, you got my attention. Yeah, baby. Mmm, gin. <laughs> Poured it a little strong this time. Trust me, I need this more than you do. See, here's the trick. Get that little prick out of my face. You, ladies and gentlemen, the dear listeners at home, get to listen to these. I don't know. How often is this podcast on? Biannually? Bisexually? Yeah, it's on bisexually. Fifty Sheds of Grey, filmed before a live studio audience, is in fact done in a 15-minute period while getting high for a concert down at the T-Mobile Arena. It's true. This is how this works. We're just doing these like a speedball of beautiful, beautiful cocaine just right there, all eight balled up in the nose. Thank you very much for playing one shot. I have to... Yeah, God. I gotta do all these in one shot. Right now, for all I know, the entire world's exploded. Who knows? Insert election person here. May have already won. You have no idea. Let's continue. Bing. I nod. Oh, we're back to dialogue again. I thought you should pick something that was better. Answer me. Yes, you got my attention. Good. He smiles a knowing smile. So, sexual acts. We've done most of this. I move closer to him on the couch and glance down at the list. There's an appendix to the book. That's amazing. Here we go. All right. So this is actually in the book. And we're now going to read off of this and you get to answer at home. Remember, send your answer written on the back of a $5 bill sent to Rabbit Valley Comics. That's Rabbit Valley Comics, Las Vegas, Nevada. Which of the following sexual acts are acceptable to the submissive? A. Masturbation. B. Bellatio. C. Cunilingus. D. Vaginal intercourse. F. Vaginal fisting. Which letter am I up to? G. There you go. Gin. G for gin. Mm. 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 Gin. You and I are the only thing that are working together today here and getting us through this book. And I want you to know that. You precious, precious liquid. Gin. You've never let me down. You've gotten me up in the evening there having to pee you out, and you've definitely woken me up in the morning maybe barfing you out, but... <laughs> oh, it's so good. Where were we? We're at the G-spot. Right. Appendix in the G-spot. Anal intercourse. You got my interest now, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh. And let's see, what comes after G? Are you sure we went to the same school? Is that how this works? Is this really H comes after G? There you go. Did we get to I yet? You and I can get together for H, anal fisting. No fisting, you say? Anything else you object to? I swallow. Apparently. God, if you didn't get to that point in the book... She better. How many steak dinners have happened here? Well, that, that's just bad. We shouldn't say things like that these days. 
you're not allowed to just expect that just because he's you know given her rides in an airplane and you know she's gotten diamond rings and i don't know you shouldn't expect the sex that's why it says acceptable to the submissive that's right gin and more gin that's what's acceptable susceptible to the yeah gin This is Aussie Cat from downtown Chicago. You're listening to For What It's Worth. And welcome back. Yay! We are back. We are back. We are back. Yay! That was the greatest comeback ever. Don't you agree? Mr. Tugs. <sighs> <laughs> Anyways, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much for that lovely ident. Aussie cat. Thank you. I don't know if it's Aussie or Aussie. Aussie? It could be Aussie. I don't know. It's hey. time for this. Ready? Yep. So we have started a new month. And that means that it's time for us to worship our Patreon patrons. So, this month, beating out the second place is Fido. Fido is our super duper uber sponsor, and we love him a lot. So, thank you, Fido. No, really, we actually really mean it. Thank you for supporting the show. And in second place is Doritos Locos Tacos from Taco Bell. For short, we call it Docos. <laughs> I can't. I don't know why. Every time I see his name, I immediately think of Doritos Locos. <laughs> so, oh my goodness! Thank you, He's Docos. gonna just change his persona name to Dorito now. Doritos Locos. <sighs> now, thank you for your support, and to all of our other Patreon patrons. If you want to hear your name right on the air, give us your money. <laughs> We're sellouts for five <laughs> seconds. Deal with it. Ah. Yeah. So. So it looks like that we have some history here. Yeah. So we have um, a short bit of history. So as you know, the current topic of the episode is zoophilia and bestiality. And we have some history from research, which goes like this. The term zoophilia emerged in the fandom in the late 1990s after the establishment of the Alt-Furry Lifestyle Message Forum when people felt it was more okay to talk about really personal things the term was deliberately used to rebrand bestiality to the people using the word there was an important distinction bestiality was rape zoophilia was about consent there was a small non-furry zine called black sheets that was about sex and they decided to do an issue on bestiality they interviewed someone who went by the name Acteon, who mentioned a furry and the conference convention in the interview the conference staff were not happy about that in the furry fandom back then, the lifestyler's concept of furry was that no one's take on furry was better or wrong than anyone else's. So to the zoo's disappointment, a lot of furries were very negative against them. They pretty much hit a wall in terms of the fandom's tolerance limits. The zoos were semi-open about themselves for two years before they decided to keep themselves um, because of the fandom stress underground, and they had a little underground network in the fandom after that. The negativity towards the baby fur community is almost identical, except the baby furs had higher numbers and were able to push back with the power of alcohol. All right, let's go to the next email, which is from Kyoto. 
Yes. Do you want to read that one? Sure. From Kyoto Coyote. Dear cast of Fur What It's Worth, my name is Kyoto. I've been listening to your show for about a year now, and I love all the different segments and production value. You guys are great company when I'm working long hours in the art studio. I wanted to write in about this topic because I'm fairly torn on the matter myself. I define zoophilia as an attraction to feral animals and animal anatomy, while bestiality is the often criminal act of sexual engagement with a non-human animal. Most furries who look at furry pornography are at least attracted to certain aspects of the animal anatomy, but some take it further. I see nothing wrong with looking at erotic art featuring ferals. It's just art, after all. And role play with other humans is perfectly fine as well. It gets more morally gray when it comes to actual, real-life interactions with animals. Obviously, I would not encourage anyone to do anything illegal, and bestiality is illegal in most parts of the U.S., maybe all, I have no clue. But I'm curious about your thoughts on ethics, legal issues aside. I'm a vegan because I don't like using animals as products. I totally understand the argument that animals, like children, are unable to give consent. But I have also heard stories of zoophiles who love their animal partners as much as I love my human one, and that their animal partners will often be the ones to initiate sexual interactions. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts and any specific stories or statistics you can bring to the discussion. I hope my email was coherent and tasteful enough. Colon three. With all my respect, Kyoto Kyoto. I, I don't really like the phrase moral issues because morality is so subjective. Uh, but I don't know if there's another phrase for it. There, there certainly seems to be a lot of moral type issues. And like one of those is furry art does have a lot of animal anatomy in there. So how there, there's certainly some uh, conflict there where I think a lot of people. A, a lot. Not every furry is into furry porn. Okay. Obviously. We understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, but would you say, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people are like looking at furry porn and they're like, oh my gosh, that doggy nut. Oh, it's so hot. You know, like that anthropomorphic character. Oh my gosh. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people that look at furry porn and that's that's what they go to as far as, you know, right. getting no, some release not- or whatever. So what I'm trying to point out is, does that make every single furry out there in some way or form zoophilias because they no. they <laughs> can look at a that they get aroused by looking at a dog's dick or a, a comic of a dog's dick different. go ahead uh first of all uh let's acknowledge that there is a lot of uh anthro on feral art in our fandom so it's there and people still thought to that but there is uh, a level of sentience about the physiology uh, and a level of uh, humanness to it. And it's far removed from the reality of, you know, human and animal sexuality. So we can appreciate the gloriousness of a dog knot without actually desiring to have sex with an actual dog. Uh, or being even attracted to actual dogs, uh, or, you know, mares, whatever. Uh, there is, hmm, I would hesitate to call everyone by any nature, by any stretch of the imagination, everyone would be any sort of zoophilic. 
uh, because it is a very separate thing. I think furry and zoophilia are completely separate. I think the sexualities even are separate. The, the boundaries are different. Um, so while people may be enjoying uh, horse dick, it's not necessarily... Sorry, uh, the, the, the kid side of me just had to laugh there. So go, go ahead. <laughs> so fucking mature. <laughs> but it does not necessarily follow that they would want to actually experience something with an actual horse. A zoophile would be attracted to the actual horse itself. So uh, in uh, Spark's email, uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned specifically that uh, P- or furries that like feral art almost exclusively tend to <laughs> Uh, be into zoophilia or bestiality more. Do you think that that's accurate? I think that by the time you've gotten to the point of uh, being aroused by, you know, the the feral bitch with her near legs splayed in everything, you pretty much are gone there mentally already. I would not be inclined to make a supposition about other people's sexuality, uh, but I would suggest that feral art definitely lends itself to more zoophilic tendencies because of the it's more closely related to the animal form. That said, Lion King porn is still anthropomorphic and furry because you could just as easily be relating to the humanality, the human aspects of the uh, nature of that porn while you're fapping to it. So I would hesitate to suggest that you're a zoophile just because you like feral porn. But... Uh, feral porn definitely lends itself closer to that sexuality. Now, there's another thing we should also uh, uh, probably make clear. There are different types of zoophiles, and it's perfectly reasonable to suggest that there are zoophiles that only like the fantasy aspect of it. Perhaps they like the idea in their minds while they're fapping uh, of a actual dog fucking them in the ass, but the actual re- it stays in fantasy for them. And that is a fair sexuality. I think. I think at this point, I would say uh, humans are interestingly prudish about sex, <laughs> particularly Americans. <laughs> um, yeah. We have this. We've we've got these animals that we have. Uh, we use for whatever we want. Um, anything from the chickens that we eat to, you know, the cows and the dogs that we use for for whatever tasks we deem appropriate for the dog, whether it's just guarding the house or, you know, running at people with guns, things that we don't ask real people to do. <laughs> oh, why it's okay to ask a dog to run straight at a person with a gun, but it's not okay to screw the dog. The, now you're just talking to, this, what is the moral conundrum here, really? I think that when when it regards animals, non-humans, evidently non-sentient, sapient at least, uh, we use them for whatever we want. Using them for sex seems like, especially if it's not like actively harming them or hurting them, why would that be a problem? (laughs) You might actually even consider it a, a solution to many problems that people might have with social interactions with other humans that they're not interested in engaging with so the next email we have is from blaze and he says hello again caster for what it's worth blaze here again after hearing my first email on the air during last episode i thought i would try and write in again i'll try not to take up too much of your time so i'll get to the point 
So I might be in the minority here when I say this, but what's the difference between zoophilia and bestiality? I always thought they were the same thing, which we've dealt into. In addition to asking that, I figured I would share my opinion. Personally, I don't think it's necessarily right. I would say the same thing about zoophilia, but without proper understanding, I can't draw the conclusion. But yes, in my opinion, I do believe it's immoral. My main argument with that being animals can't offer consent, nor understand the concept of sexual pleasure like people do. Although animals do have desires to mate, as evident when animals are in heat, they do not actively seek pleasure like people do. Beyond that, I think most animals involved are house pets, right? So would it not be super awkward to have sexual desires involving the family pet, especially if you consider your pet a family member? Either way, the point I'm trying to make is I simply know I wouldn't want to find someone balls deep in my dog. Not to mean that my not sorry, not mean my dog is a German Shepherd Rottweiler mix, so he might rip your dick off before you realize it. Anyhore, in quick summary, just in case I'm not making a clear argument, personally I am against it. I don't think it's okay and is extremely taboo, but I have no right to prevent someone else from their personal life in the bedroom. I simply have my own opinion. That's all I have on the topic. Not much, but I wanted to keep writing in. Looking forward to the next episode. Keep up the great work. Your fluffy listener, Blaze Maestro Tolt. I can understand the emotional reaction. Uh, Yes, you would be upset if you found someone balls deep in your dog. How about if your dog was balls deep in somebody? <laughs> That's a it's an interesting thought experiment to turn it on its ear. Although it is, and, and primarily because I am a gay bottom, that is almost the ton total, almost all of the sex I've had with with dogs <laughs> or animals in general. Really, people get the idea that the sex always involves a person penetrating. It doesn't. In fact, I'd say it's probably more the other way around. Does a dog like sex? Well, how do you ask? Are you going to do a nice sociological experiment and uh, engage in some sexual pleasure activities with some like vibrating manipulations and and try different dogs to see if there's a consistent response of seeking behavior uh, for this kind of attention? You could do that. Might not make it past the ethical board. (laughs) There was something else in here, too, which is that I believe scientists have proven that there are animals that do masturbate and have sex for pleasure, right? I think dolphins and is it is it gorillas or orangutans or one of the primates do, too, right? Many of the primates do, um, especially the monkeys and bonobos and stuff like that. Um, Such sexual behavior is pretty fairly fairly common and and there are dogs that have you can do a search on youtube for masturbating dog and i'm sure you'll find quite a number of entertaining clips (laughs) these dogs are going at it and it's not with anyone else they just like the feel of it Uh, i think most of them just don't understand how or don't figure out how to do it because without thumbs and shoulders that rotate and stuff that's hard to do how do scientists announce that they're going to study this? Like, like, do they have like little conferences? I know you probably don't know this. Like, do they go, I think I'm going to study gorillas' masturbation habits. Uh, usually, tugs. it just kind of comes with the territory. You've got it in order to... Tugs, tugs. I have been in one of those studies before. They, they oh, really? Lined... Were you the gorilla? No, no, no. It was, it was the study on foxes. Totally. No one wants to look at that. Just lined oh all of them up, and that's what happened. So it's the nature of studying animals that you would study all their sexual habits. And in studying their sexual habits, you usually, I mean, it lends itself to, okay, 
maybe our preconceived notions about this are incorrect. Because what we have done as a species is generally lower everyone else around us. So we, you know, all the other animals, they're, they're below us. They are of a lower cognition. They don't do the same things we do. Animals don't feel pain was a common misconception. Animals can't feel emotions was a common misconception. Um, and they were, you know, generally accepted at one point in the scientific community, even though <laughs> you can clearly tell that they're wrong if you spend any time around an animal. Um, First of all, I wonder how a scientist gets into studying. I think I'm going to study the sex habits of gorillas. Like, I don't know how that comes about, but the fact that they're studying that, does that shift the argument somewhat uh, on the whole moral aspect of zoophilia and bestiality? I think it does, at least as far as the scientists are concerned. A lot of experiments that they couldn't run because of... uh, ethical constraints in the human population they are able to play with and manipulate in the animal populations they study uh and the closer they are to humans the more meaningful the results are for humans which of course is what humans love to study about humans it's less that they are you know seeking out like the the masturbation habits of gorillas as much as this is something that we need to document because we're trying to understand something so someone's got to do it you're so serious i just i want to think that some guy in a Panama hat decided to study a gorilla's masturbation habits because I want to live in a world where like people are that's it's it, it I know it's not really silly but pe- it is kind of silly when you think about it at first. Well, I mean, I mean, why not? Why couldn't a scientist be a zoophile? I mean, perfectly reasonable. And um, we've also studied that zoophilia uh, crosses species as well, if you will, if you will borrow the term. Let's say. Uh, uh, interspecies sexuality. So there is a case of a particular, I believe it was a chimpanzee, it was some kind of primate named Lucy, exclusively attracted to human males, had no interest in other monkeys. What? Really? Yep. True. This is something you can go look up. This isn't the famous Lucy, right? Oh, I don't know if there's a famous Lucy. Well, like, I'm sorry. Like, isn't like the, one of the famous ancestors in the evolutionary chain called Lucy? Oh, no, 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 then that's not that Lucy. This is an actual animal that existed in a time that we could observe them. Oh, okay, so what we've learned today is that Lucille Ball was exclusively (laughs) attracted to men. Tugs. Tugs. I mean, we should have already known that. Other than, I mean, I suppose she could have been bisexual, but... Get Psyched with Dr. Nuka. It's almost impossible to avoid talking about America's recent election. Watch the media, talk to others, browse the internet. Everyone has something to say about it. Whether it's discussing the inaccuracy of the polls, understanding Trump's unprecedented rise to power, or simply expressing dismay at how divisive this election has been. I want to focus on that last point in particular and approach it from a perspective you probably haven't considered. How might social psychologists explain this divisiveness? Or, to put it in simpler terms, why can't conservatives, liberals, and libertarians seem to get along? Why does it always feel like they're talking past one another? Why do these discussions go nowhere and leave us feeling so frustrated? Psychologists Jonathan Haidt and Craig Joseph have developed a theory that may answer these questions. It's called Moral Foundations Theory. In a nutshell, The theory says that when it comes to issues that involve morality, 
six distinct factors may come into play. Care, fairness, liberty, loyalty, authority, and sanctity. Care is a moral foundation based on the principle that everyone deserves to feel safe, secure, and valued. It's the idea that it's immoral to harm others and moral to help others. Fairness is the idea that everyone ought to play by the same rules. There should be justice for all, and no one should be disproportionately advantaged or disadvantaged. In other words, it's immoral to cheat or play by your own rules, and moral when there's justice and an even playing field for everyone. Liberty is the principle that people should be free to do as they please. According to this principle, it's immoral to oppress, restrict, or otherwise dictate what others should do, and it's moral to let people pursue their own interests unrestricted. Loyalty is a foundation based on the idea that we should stick with and protect our groups, whether they're our families, our countries, or our cultures. In this regard, it's considered immoral to betray or turn our backs on our group when they need us, and moral to stand by and defend our groups when times are tough. Authority is the principle that we should be obedient to tradition and respect those who hold legitimate power. According to this foundation, it's immoral to disrespect or disobey those above you like your parents, your boss, or the police, and it's moral to fall in line with what tradition, law, and the people above us request. Finally, there's sanctity, the principle of avoiding things that are disgusting, toxic, or repugnant. According to this principle, it's immoral to engage in disgusting or impure activities and moral to seek out purity or cleanliness. So we have six moral foundations, care, fairness, liberty, loyalty, authority, and sanctity. What do they have to do with liberals, conservatives, and libertarians? And how do they help us understand why they can't seem to get along? Well, Jonathan Haidt and his colleagues measured each of these six principles in large samples of people. And what he found was that people differ predictably in how important each of these different foundations was to them. Chances are, while I was describing the different principles to you, you probably found yourself thinking, wow, that one was really stupid. Or you might have been thinking, wow, yeah, who could possibly disagree with that one? Hyde's participants did the same thing, supporting some foundations and opposing others. Importantly though, conservatives, liberals, and libertarians seem to differ from one another in predictable ways based on which of these principles was the most important to them. Conservatives, for example, tend to base their morality on all six principles fairly evenly. When asking if something is moral, they consider whether it involves caring for others, whether it's fair, if it compromises liberty, if it compromises loyalty, if it goes against any authorities, and whether the act itself is disgusting. A moral decision involves considering and trying to balance all six of these foundations. In contrast, liberals tend to base their morality primarily on just two of those principles, caring and fairness. If it doesn't involve doing harm and it doesn't involve being unfair towards someone, it's typically not a moral issue for liberals. For example, is it immoral to burn a flag? While a conservative might say so because it goes against the principles of authority and loyalty, a liberal might not have the same problem with it, since the act itself doesn't seem to be doing any harm to anyone and it's not really an issue of fairness. Libertarians are like liberals in the sense that their morality tends to be based on only two of these six principles, in this case, fairness and liberty. For libertarians, questions of morality center on whether something is fair for everyone and whether it takes away from an individual's freedom to do what they want. 
for a libertarian, it would be immoral to ban flag burning, since it would take away that person's freedom to do exactly that. So, knowing that conservatives, liberals, and libertarians differ in their moral foundations, we can start to understand why they often seem to talk past one another. Let's use just one example, freedom of speech, to illustrate this. For libertarians, freedom of speech is absolutely a moral issue, since it reflects their moral foundation of liberty. As such, they'll strongly defend free speech as a moral issue. Conservatives do value liberty as well, but they also value authority and loyalty. So free speech is moral to them unless it involves undermining or threatening their nation or authorities, in which case they might consider it to be immoral. And for liberals, liberty isn't really a moral issue at all, but care is. As such, a liberal, typ liberal typically wouldn't have a moral problem with restricting free speech, especially if it means protecting someone else from harm. So in this case, conservatives, libertarians, and liberals are all likely to disagree and are unlikely to ever see eye to eye, since they can't agree on whether the issue is a moral one and what factors are worth taking into consideration. Rather than recognizing that this is where their disagreement is coming from, however, they instead tend to blame the disagreements on their opponent's ignorance or stupidity. If authority isn't a moral issue for you, but it is for someone else, you might think that their disagreeing with you is because they're an idiot. In actuality, it may be because you're suggesting something that's just plain immoral to them. The take-home message is this. It's easy to assume that those who disagree with us are dumb, especially when questions of morality seem really obvious and straightforward to us. But it's important to remember that most people are generally good and generally want to do what they think is the moral thing. If we recognize this and recognize where our disagreements are coming from, it becomes easier to see things from another perspective, and it just might make our discussions a little bit more civil, whether we're talking about discussions in the furry fandom or discussions out there in the real world. This has been a quick look at the psychology of morality. I'm Dr. Nuka, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on Get Psyched. If you have real, actual spare money you want to throw away, feel free to give it to us on our Patreon. Check out www.patreon.com fwiw and learn how you can buy your way to hearing your name on the air. But not much air. We're not total sellouts. So I think um, the next two emails can be read back to back because what I want to do is see, you know, kind of how you, you've run up with this before, I, I bet. So I want to see how you kind of handle this sort of general thought train. So Kira's email says, hey guys, it's me, Kira, and I'm writing on my phone. So sorry for grammar mistakes and typos. No, we'll read them exactly. Uh, this topic is an insanely red button, and I feel like it's hard to share your opinion lest it be worded wrong and someone takes what you say way out of context. Zoophilia so and bestiality is the same thing, in my opinion. The sexual attraction to non-human animals. Zoophilia is fancier for it. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's an impulse that must never be done. Animals can't consent. No matter what zoophilia says, they cannot consent. Each of these is their own paragraph. Um, I am against zoophilia as much as I am against pedophilia. Both take advantage of an innocent for your own selfish means. No animal should have to be violated for your fetish. Imagine all you want, fantasize all you want, but don't do it. 
His Ophelia and bestiality should not be attached to the fandom. It would be like attaching bondage to the Matrix. Just because they wear leather doesn't mean they're into something more. I don't want to go on a rant, so I'll end it here. Kira. And Dokos, I'll just keep reading since I'm sure you have plenty to say, says, I'll make this short, and he puts sweat, but I think he means sweet. And to the point, people should not be judged by what they're attracted to. We as people cannot control what we're sexually attracted to any more than we can control whether we like red or white wine. However, acting on said attraction is another story entirely. The fact of the matter is that you cannot have sex with an animal because an animal is not intelligent enough to give consent. If someone were to find an animal that showed a human level of consciousness and intelligence and you could communicate with it and it said yes to sex, then go for it. But other than that, no. Some may argue that, well, if an animal does not resist, then it gives consent or that it may be trying to show some form of consent by not resisting. To this, I report, retort simply, if you cannot assume that not saying anything against or not resisting sex is an acceptable form of consent for a human, why would it be different with animals? I try to keep an open mind and accept new ideas, but on this specific issue, the line must be drawn here. Thus, this far, no further. As always, thank you to Rootug's Core and Firebreath for making this show possible. Dokos. So I'm sure you've heard these things. Have you had these discussions with people? I'd like to think that you have like these nice cocktail discussions with people. I don't know if you actually do. <laughs> more than more than you might expect. This this argument about consent. It's one that that is in a, quite a few um, arguments that we you know. Let me tell you, it's interesting to research this and not have Google like start thinking. Maybe I should start putting more of this or this into your feed. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, Google must think I'm into everything by now. Uh, but uh, there's there's the argument about consent that comes up a lot, right? And so, can an animal give consent? And is is consent the ability to open your mouth and say no or yes? That's a really good litmus test when you are a person with another person. Uh, I think that when I get down on all fours and the dog climbs up on top of me and starts going to town, he said yes. Uh, Can a dog say no? Oh, absolutely. Uh, they growl. Uh, if they don't like your hand on their dick, they're going to give you an eyeball. And if they don't continue to like not like it, they're going to growl. And if they don't like it, they're going to snap. So what would you define to be consent? Consent is an interesting issue. Um, okay, so consent. When people say, for instance, animals cannot consent, what they're actually saying is animals cannot give informed consent. The difference, of course, being uh, informed consent implies that you have an idea of what's happening. You know the stakes. You know what's going on. And they present this argument of informed consent uh, in parallel to the reasons why pedophilia is illegal. Uh, there's a few issues with the argument of consent. Uh, well, I guess I should say first, zoophiles uh, take great pains to make sure that they have a, a perception of consent. Uh, it is actually noted that animals can, can, can at least say yes to having sex. Um, the question is, can they do it informed? Um, so, how do I go with this? Okay, there's so many different ways. <sighs> okay. So, I would like to say, suggest that zoophilia and pedophilia are not linked. Uh, the issue of consent is very different because 
the well, reason you said why, pedo- you said pedophilia. Yes, the difference. But there is not a link. The rhetorical link between pedophilia and zoophilia, uh, I think that it is wrong. There should not be a, a rhetorical link there, and this is why. Uh, when we talk about having sex with children, if I may get into this topic, uh, there are social ramifications. Uh, we have societal stigmas on sex. We have uh, issues psychologically as you were raised in a society that does not... Uh, is not sexually open, for instance. Uh, uh, one way that you know a child is sexually abused is that they understand things about sex they're not supposed to. Uh, there are relationships involved, you know, power relationships. Lots of different things are involved, and we do not equip children to be informed to make those sorts of decisions. So it's a problem. With animals, they do not have this uh, social stigma. They are not going to go, if you have sex with your mare, for instance, they're not going to go out on the farm and face stigma from the rest of your animals on the farm. Um, I've seen Garfield, and I think that they would. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, hmm. if we were talking about Garfield, we wouldn't have this issue because they would be able to consent vocally. Um, <laughs> Touche. Uh, so there are certain things that don't actually go one-to-one, especially if it handles in your home. Uh we have societal expectations of animals, but having sex with an animal does not interfere with those societal expectations. They can still function as pets. They can still function as farm animals. It's not a problem. Um, so, when we tackle this issue of consent, there are two different things we need to keep in mind. One, I think we should ask ourselves, can animals consent to one other, one another to have sex? Can an animal say to another animal, I want to have sex and reciprocate that? And if the answer is yes, then the question becomes, why can they not consent with humans? What is it that's different that they can consent with other animals in ways that they can understand and they can't consent with humans in ways that we can understand? Because they have defined sexual behavior patterns that we can take a look at and understand and recognize. In fact, there is documented proof that animals will hit on humans as sexual uh, partners. Um, And if animals cannot consent with one another, then why is informed consent relevant to having sex with animals? Because uh, informed consent is certainly something that we impose on each other, which is a good thing. I think that informed consent as a sexual standard is super important, especially now uh, we're kind of open about sex. We are learning as a society how to talk about it. So informed consent is useful in sexual interactions between human beings. But if we are saying that animals can't, give informed consent to one another, uh, basically what we're doing is we are forcing a social paradigm that is not relevant. It's as if, okay, let's say you said you wanted to get married to an animal. An animal has no idea what marriage is. A marriage is a civil and a social contract. Animals do not have a stake in civil or social contracts. They don't have an idea, they don't have a concept of what a contract is uh, as far as humans are concerned. So, you have to ask yourself, how is this relevant and why are we imposing it this way? The other thing is if we are going to impose restrictions on having soaked the animals as an issue of consent, uh, then why don't we impose restrictions on the human interactions with animals and the issue of consent in other areas? We don't get their consent to put them in cages uh, when we leave to go to the store. 
we don't get their consent to put them on leashes. Uh, we don't get their consent um, in animal husbandry to milk them or to uh, artificially inseminate them. And these are overtly sexual acts that cause sexual gratification to an animal uh, where they are not in an understood to give informed consent. But it's okay because we have other motives for doing it. So what the conclusion that you would come to obviously is that it's not so much an issue of consent as much as an issue of moral outrage, sexual outrage. We are very prudish with sex in Western society. Um, and so we impose, we've historically since uh, Christianity has kind of become the mainstream religion uh, back in you know the Middle Ages, Historically, we place restrictions on non-reproductive sex, and those morals that come from that have lingered. So, only now in our country is homosexuality becoming a like I, I believe the sodomy laws were still on the books until like 1990 uh, in some places. So, it's like if we do not ask for if we do not demand informed consent in other areas of human and animal interaction. Why only is consent an issue with sexuality? And I suggest that it's actually a, a moral reprehension. Um, we are offended. Um, mm -hmm. The word consent brings up a, a funny little um, a TV show that I've been watching mm -hmm. lately called... Um, Sherlock. No, not <laughs> Sherlock. My gosh. No, it's Magicians. Okay, and basically it's like a crossover between Harry Potter and uh, it's kind of like a crossover between Harry Potter and Sherlock. Narnia. No, not Sherlock. <laughs> Stop it, Tugs. You're a dork. <laughs> so needless to say, one of the guys, um, you know, gets ex so excited to tell all the other other guys that finally arrived to Narnia that he's like, oh, my goodness, it's so amazing. All the animals can give us consent. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it. So it's fantastic. Anyways, so you can go ahead and continue. There's my random little. <laughs> well, I think I pretty much, I pretty much, more or less, in a, in a nutshell, unpacked that issue. So uh, to to summarize, uh, zoophiles seek consent as a matter of principle, uh, but in legally speaking and and imposing restrictions on society. The matter of whether they can or can't consent is I, – I once again have to go back to the whole, you know, these are animals that we domesticated. If I want to kill the animal I domesticated, uh, unless it's been special, cool, protected, and or noticed by somebody else in my society, it doesn't matter. It's a possession. <laughs> Well, wouldn't that be argued though that if you murdered an animal, like a pet, just because you wanted to, would some states that would be animal abuse and you you could be jailed for it? Like I know in Utah, you could. Well, I well yes, to a certain degree. Um, if I have uh, a tarantula, I, I try to imagine what if I had a pet tarantula and I murdered the pet tarantula. What are the chances of me being prosecuted for that? <laughs> Is it even going to be considered a problem by the courts? Uh, I doubt it. <laughs> It's interesting because on the one hand, it seems like you're saying it's just an animal. But on the other hand, you do want to treat it like more than an animal because you, you would have the emotional attachment to it, right? So how do you reconcile that? I don't think that it needs to be reconciled so much 
your pet, your personal pet, Mm -hmm. is your emotional being that you care about and matters to you. But my pet is not the guy next door's pet. It's not his business is what you're basically saying? It effectively is not his business, yes. He can't – it doesn't matter to – he doesn't have that emotional attachment. No, maybe he plays with my dog, my dog as well, with my permission or something. And he's got, and he becomes, and he does gain an emotional attachment to my dog. Then he would justifiably be upset. But as a, a strange dog getting killed, he shouldn't be any more torn up over it as a strange, you know, person getting killed on the road outside. The frame in which they say they cannot consent. The frame in which they say this is morally reprehensible starts with certain presumptions about what an animal is, what a dog is, what a, what their pet is, and what that means to society and other people that aren't, you know, the in the social group of that pet. Yeah, and I don't think that the although these structures are common, common and commonly encountered, I don't think they're appropriate. It's not appropriate for people to treat my dog as their child because – or any child because he's not. He's my dog, not yours, not your child, not anybody's child. Well, it could be argued um, mm-hmm. that possibly that the animal has been taught this terrible, horrible behavior mm-hmm. and so – and this immoral behavior that – um, it needs to be casted out. <laughs> and so, right. you know. So, uh, first of all, let's just, I would suggest that killing an animal because someone taught it to have sex with it is wrong, uh, is a bad reason to kill an animal. That would be my suggestion. Uh, I also would suggest that uh, this idea that enforcing behaviors is wrong is interesting because that's basically all our society does with us you go to work from nine to five because you get paid and you're trained to work to get paid even if it's not something you normally would do uh you train your animal to sit for a treat even though it's not something it normally may be inclined to do uh because it's okay to do that why why wouldn't it be um you know we train ourselves to lose weight, even though we're not inclined to do that because we perceive that there is some societal expectation uh, of us to be of a certain weight range and perhaps uh, uh, conceived notions of health. Uh, basically, everything we do is learned behavior. And I would suggest that an animal knowing that, uh, okay, your pants are down, it's time to have sex. I would suggest that in our interaction with animals what we try to do in sexual situations is impose values that we have for ourselves if that makes sense so for instance uh, the we talked about the issue of consent as a as an idea uh, consent is a concept that we have created as humans and it's a useful one for us uh, but it's not necessarily something that translates into uh, the foreign intelligence of an animal. It may not be relevant. Uh, in the same way, I think that this issue that they're getting a treat for performing an act is not necessarily, you know, relevant 
as a morally reprehensible behavior. That said, I would also suggest that your typical zoophile is looking for something other than uh, training it to get a treat. And this is just through, you know, discussions with zoophiles, talking, uh, you know, even even reading uh, social scientists uh, talking to zoophiles. This is not usually necessarily how the relationship works. Um, and I would also further say that if there were signs of abuse, uh, that animal abuse laws would certainly come into play as a factor. Uh, so I don't think necessarily giving a dog a treat is as morally reprehensible as it perhaps seems. Hi there, I'm Nabru. That bear everyone thinks is made out of monster energy drink, and I just wanted to chime in on the topic. First, as a former zoophile, I can tell you that bestiality and zoophilia are completely two different things. People into bestiality just like the sex with animals part, where zoophiles get into the emotional attachments to the point that they feel the animal is basically their lover. Any whore, I do not see too much of a problem with it, but it does have its issues, like coaxing an animal into sexual activity with things, like <clears throat> peanut butter. But in my eyes, it doesn't hurt the animal, then it's okay in my book. Hope to type more in the future, unless this email ends up killing my character. <laughs> I forgot to mention how I became a zoophile years ago. It was shortly after I joined the fandom, and a local guy introduced me to it online. At first, it seemed to fit with the whole furry thing, but after months of talking to people on forums and that local fur, I decided it really wasn't my thing. He is no longer a zoophile. So are there people who, who do this, and then is it like an experimental thing, and then they stop? I think it's interesting that he says that he was a former zoophile, yet doesn't actually sound like he ever even had an, a relationship with an animal. Um, like he saw it as part of being furry and and then decided it wasn't appropriate. Um, but maybe he just didn't mention that he had. I th What was I thinking here? That you want some peanut butter? <laughs> No, actually, but uh, the <laughs> so when I was when I was fourteen, twelve, eleven, thirteen, somewhere in there, I was kind of you know as most teenagers just thrashing around and exploring sex. I went out and masturbated with a dog. The dog got me excited, so I did that, and that was just it was like the formation of my sexuality and the the center smells and sensations and situations that, that trigger things in me even to this day. <laughs> the, uh, to, to, to me who discovered it all by myself solo with a dog, <laughs> to have someone say they, they found it online and now they're former, it feels like they never really were to me. Like, they didn't naturally come across it it was kind of an introduction to them and they eventually decided it was inappropriate not something that's as inherent to their being sexuality is something that we kind of explore and we kind of touch on like to say uh i'll dabble in this for a second but it's you know never mind it was it was fun while i did it but that's not really something i want to be a part of and that's fine um people i believe try to stop it because 
I think it's the same reason why people try to stop gays from having sex. And I, I know we, I think uh, the LGBT, LGBT community would loathe me to compare the struggle for gay rights to <laughs> zoophile rights. However, I would suggest, even if they are completely separate things, that there are some commonalities. Uh, the laws that banned homosexuality were the exact laws that banned bestiality. And in, in, in fact, uh, dating back into when the church started imposing these things, sodomy, bestiality, masturbation, homosexuality, anal and oral sex, all were the same thing. They were punished the same way. They were all equally offensive. Uh, and so when you consider that, uh, the way we restrict them is definitely appears to be uh, more of a morality issue as opposed to, for instance, an animal rights issue. I think uh, with the rise of the animal rights movement at the same time that sexuality was being decriminalized, uh, we found a way to tie the animal rights uh, lexicon, I guess you should say, you could say. Uh, we tried to, we found a way to tie that narrative into legislating sexuality. Rue, what is up? Nothing. <laughs> I have to bring some <laughs> levity. This is so serious. I'm uh, sorry, I'm not very funny. Well, that's why I tried to bring up the magician story. Sherlock? <laughs> no, it wasn't from Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to read uh, the other half of Spark's email, uh, but it, it, I think it's kind of, it's almost more of a... Uh, What's the word? Rhetorical question. And the, the but the question I'm going to probably end on with you is: How do you see the relationship between zoophilia bestiality and the fandom? Is it coincidental that they happen to just have members of both, or is there a connection? And if so, what is it? So while you're thinking of that, let me read this email. He says, "To those of you who eat meat, why do we not label the killing of animals for food murder?" Why do we not say that owning a pet is slavery? Why do we uh, say why do we not say that taking in a stray is kidnapping? This is because we do not apply human standards to animals in any case except for sex. Is it more acceptable to kill a cow and eat it than to touch dangly bits? Why is it then considered a rape to have sex with an animal? If that's the only case where we apply human ways of thinking onto an animal, then it's hypocritical. I will go on to explain why I and the zoo community to believe it's morally okay. For this argument, we will be using dogs as an example, as this is what I'm most familiar with. For any of you dog owners out there, when your dog is happy, sick, or upset, it will let you know. If it doesn't want pet or belly rubs, it will grow, shy away, or bite in extreme cases, such as the same with sexual contact. Should they not want it, they will cower, whine, growl, etc. If they do enjoy it, they show it. Then they will try to continue it. It's extremely easy to read their body language. To further show that dogs don't apply the same standards and ways of thinking that we humans use, read up on their mating habits. The whole purpose of a dog knot is so that it can keep its female in place so she can't run off. It forces her to continue and stay even if she tries to fight the male off. It's natural. If humans tried doing that, they would be sued for rape and go away forever. I hear some arguments where people are okay with sexual contacts with male dogs, but not females. They worry the female would be hurt. Females, uh, if medium... In medium to large sizes can easily accommodate people. Any dog breeder can verify knots of the males of those species are much thicker than humans are. Females suffer no damage from the knot, and so they will su not suffer damage from a human unless it's intentional. Animals are not frail, and people want to treat them as if they're human babies. That's a disservice to both the animal and person. Animals should be treated with respect and not treated like toddlers. Anyway, I hope you all at least understand our perspective, even if you don't agree with it. If anyone wants to talk about it, 
further or share your opinion, talk to me on Telegram. Sincerely, Spark the Dragon. That's uh, there's so good amount of what I was saying in there, um, and and as a size queen, <laughs> yes, this is quite true. <laughs> Dogs are uh, a big dog, like the 100 pound dog is much larger than a human. <laughs> um, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> what, you want pictures? <laughs> They'll be on the show notes page. No, they won't. <laughs> yeah, it's just animal anatomy. It's not. It's not nothing. Nothing bad about that, right? Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, like dogs don't see it this, the way people do. Dogs do like sex. They can accommodate it physically. And you're not going to oversize a horse, you know. Seriously. <laughs> Probably wouldn't oversize a horse even with your whole arm. I've seen dirty jobs. They have gloves that go up to like your neck. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be pretty intense. Although that's usually like birthing glove, you know. Just saying. I mean, <laughs> there's space. The there's space in a horse. <laughs> there is. <laughs> and no, you may not be unbirthed. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Let's let's shift gears just a little bit and talk about then what is overall the relationship mm-hmm. between zoophilia, bestiality, and the furry fandom. Is it just coincidental that some people in the fandom are into all of this, or is there a definite link between the two? I think there are overlapping interests between the two, but that neither one is analogous to the other. Zoophilia and furry are two separate different things. Even in the fetish sense, uh, they are two different types of sexuality. However, the commonalities that link them lead to uh, sort of a Venn diagram of both groups where there are people in the middle that are both. So Do you feel like the furry... circle of furries and somewhere in the middle Sorry. there's some cross-section where people are zoos and furries because there are common links between the two as far as aesthetic goes. Do you feel like that the furry fandom is a gateway drug <laughs> to Zuvilia? No. No, and I'll tell you why. I found furry while looking for bestiality. So, in a way, Zuvilia was actually a gateway into furry. So, I don't think that suggesting that furries are going to become zoophiles is a, is a productive train of thought i think in the spectrum of human interest and the way humans like to uh sexualize everything i mean that's the way we are wired to sex mm-hmm. we sex that's what we do mm-hmm. um in that in that spectrum there's anything that has to do with animal attributes and of humans is going to involve animal attributes humans and sex it's inevitable that the people who are playing with animal attributes in humans are going to have sex with each other and that the people who like animal attributes and sex, even when humans aren't involved, or even if they would rather not be a human, that's something we haven't touched on, <laughs> species dysmorphia sort of things, mm-hmm. uh, even those people are going to get involved in sex. It's just the spectrum of humanity it's going to be mixed up in there in all these different ways and and means that uh makes the soup of humanity so let's take this a step further 
okay. lot of people have been fearful about us doing this episode because mm-hmm. they've raised the concern that we are to to paraphrase making ammo for mm-hmm. people who don't want the fandom and these two topics to be associated. That's um, fair. And uh, so can I just jump in real quick. Yeah, I yeah. think it's super fair that people do not want furries to be associated with bestiality because they are two separate things and public conceptions of furry linking it to bestiality lead to certain stigmas that no one wants to have to deal with. And that's fair. There are two separate different things. So go ahead. No, that's that's you actually kind of just finished where we were going. I was going to say, you know, definitively then they're not the same. They they no. they they are not. So no. there you go. Naysayers. <laughs> they're just not they're, they're not, not the, the same. same. And that's coming from someone who's part of both communities. They're not the same. Uh, the interests are not the same. Uh, but it is really nice to be able to be in the furry community and find a connection with other people who are also zoophiles. The one thing that you really wanted to share is your final thought before mm-hmm. we go. What would mm-hmm. that? What is that thought? Let me think about that for just a second, okay? One one thousand. <laughs> no, it's fine. If Here. you want, if you want, we can go to break and come back and get it. That's fair. Okay, we'll do that. So we will take our last break, enjoy some Fifty Shades of Grey, and then we will be back to wrap this up. You're listening to For What It's Worth, brought to you by For What It's Worth brand mail enhancement. When you want your package to be extra impressive, think For What It's Worth. Letters are so boring. Those plain white envelopes, mundane letters written out by hand, detailing only the most dull details of your pen pal's life. If only there were some way to liven things up. Well, now there is. With For What It's Worth brand mail enhancement, you can improve the size of your parcel. Stylish new designs, patterns, and decals can be applied directly to your box. And let's not forget perfume. Yes, everyone will be falling all over themselves to try and get a whiff of your junk. Mail. Junk mail. Why not toss in a saucy photo or two? Just be careful who you send those to. You don't want the local paper printing your low-quality snapshot. After all, not everyone's a professional photographer. Yes, follow our advice and you'll be sure to hear from your pen pal about the enormous satisfaction they get out of your enhancements. For what it's worth, brand mail enhancement. For the other kind, please contact after 6 p.m. And now for today's secret code. 15. 12, 4, 19, 3, 8, 15, 15, 12, 4, 9, 3, 11, 16, 9, 3. Good luck. 50 Sheds of Grey, the furry edition. Brought to you by Squishies, the all-natural prophylactic. Quiet, he orders, and he hits me again on my behind. I did not expect it to be like this. I'm lost, lost in a sea of sensation, and suddenly he's dragging the crop against my sex. 
through my public hair, because that's just funnier to pronounce it that way, down the entrance of my vagina. See how wet you are for this, Anastasia? Open your muzzle and your muzzle. No, that didn't make any sense. Open your eyes and your muzzle and your gin. I do as I'm told. Completely seduced. He pushes the tip of the carrot into my mouth. No, it says crop, doesn't it? Sorry, I think I might be getting a little hungry this time. I am a rabbit after all, so. He pushes the tip of the crop into my mouth like my dream. Holy shit. I think he may be holding it wrong. I'm just pointing that out here. See? Oh, here we go. Suck. Suck hard, baby. My mouth closes around the crop as my eyes lock onto his. I can taste the rich Corinthian leather and the saltiness of my arousal. His eyes are blazing. He's in his element. What, no gaping? <laughs> he pulls the tip from my mouth. And he stands just the tip. Just remember, just the tip, baby. Just the tip. Always remember to tip at least 20% when you get good service, too. That's important. No shit, there I was this one time. We are out with a bunch of furries. And this one guy says, I don't tip. And I look to this guy straight in the eye and say, you don't get up from this fucking table until you drop some money on that table. I put that goddamn money down because the rest of us aren't paying for your fucking tip. And I think he shit his pants. It's pretty impressive. Because, cheap bastard, that woman's been working her ass off on this table of like 47 furries here. And this dude's tongue's invading his mouth, her mouth. So, you know, I'm just saying, just the tip. That's all that's important, just the tip. Wrapping his arms around me, he pulls me against him. His chest crushes mine. Wow, that was a fat dude. And I itch to touch, but I can't. My hands useless above me. Oh, Anastasia, you taste mighty fine. Shall I make you calm? Please, I beg. Please what? Please, sir. Oh, God, there's more dialogue like this. With this, yes, sir. Are you sure? Yes, please. Close your eyes. Let the room out. Blah, blah, blah. I give up. Having a reaction to the show topic so far? We want to hear about it. Send your response to this episode and get involved in the discussion. Cast at forwhatitsworth.com. We will read your comments in the next release. And welcome back again. Here we are for our final thoughts about bestiality and zoophilia. So please give us your final thoughts. That was ridiculously cheery. You're welcome. <laughs> Contestants, please give us your final thoughts. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> As I've gotten older, I have actually engaged in less pursuit of and sex with anything. People, animals, whatever. Um, which makes me sad in a way because sex really is fun. On the other hand... It's also inconvenient. <laughs> and when your inconvenient can go so far, far, you're going 
And when you're inconvenient and go so far as to throw you in jail, you know, you don't want the headline, Florida man caught admitting to sex with dog. It was Idaho. <laughs> well, I was thinking of one where it was in Florida, literally. Ah. <laughs> but you don't want to end up being that headline. A friend of mine was that headline. It ruined his small business. It threw him out of the state. He basically lost everything he had built over like 25 years. Oh. It is not a happy thing in a small town when they learn that you screw dogs. Uh, that's why people are paranoid. Uh, I think it's important for people to realize that even though they they want it to be black and white, they want you to have this, oh, you can't consent, therefore, if you participate in the action, you necessarily have done a morally reprehensible action, that the world is not black and white like that. People and human sexuality is not black and white like that. Being Living dangerously by participating in actions that could result in something bad happening is not a black action. It may be gray or even a dark gray, but it is not evil. <laughs> Absolute. If you think about finding where people are before you judge them, you're going to find that almost all of them are way towards the very lightest of grays. People are wonderful. People are so nice to each other and their animals. <laughs> it's really not much to worry about. And the psychotics who go the other direction and are almost black, we can deal with those with the existing laws and the existing structures. It's not <laughs> – this is not the demons you're looking for, I guess I'd like to say. I suppose that I would like to suggest that things are not really as cut and dried as they can seem sometimes. And if you are struggling with your sexuality and a fandom like this one – uh, reach out because there are people that can support you, whether it's zoophilia or, you know, your baby fur, uh, or your, um, God, I don't know. You're a God. You like stending, sticking bamboo shoots under your fingernails, whatever. There are people who can support you in this fandom, uh, and you are not by any means alone in any of these things. All right. That is a good final thought. So before we go to housekeeping, I have to keep a promise to somebody. And uh, now it's time for that. So I forgot to do this, Rue. So I promised Fido that I would get your reaction to him being the highest tier Patreon patron we have. So Fido is on the $100 tier. He literally is giving us $100 every month in support. What are you doing? <laughs> he wants to know your reaction. Who's Mine? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were saying, like, prepping that into our guest's face or something. No. I'm like... <laughs> what do you have to say about that? <laughs> what do you have to say about that? I'm like, Tugs, you're being kind of a jerk. <laughs> no, what do you think about that? I think it's... 
fucking amazing. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Because seriously, um, it really um, helps our show out. So if you can support us, do it. And I'm just so grateful that you've supported us that much. That's a huge give. I know. That's huge. Okay, Bosco, what do you think? (laughs) First of all, uh, wow. Uh, That's incredible. And... Also, I, you know, I also would like to say I'm grateful for the opportunity to even speak about this sort of thing uh, on a show like this, which is, you know, I know that you guys got a lot of pushback for this sort of thing, but it's sometimes you got to hit the hard, get the hard hits, and you guys know when to do it. And I think you did it really well, and I appreciate you having people like me on every now and then. We we got to explore all of the fandom, right? Have you commented on the site yet? It's time to be reminded in... Housekeeping! Alright, it's that time that you are reminded about... Messaging us on Twitter. Yes, message us. Don't tweet at us. Message us. Just kidding. Uh, uh, Follow us on Twitter. Don't message us on Twitter. DMs are awful. (laughs) They're not... Look, here's the thing. DMs have a place. Like, when you just need to send something super quick... That's what a DM is. It's not an IM replacement. We have it, a place where you can do that, though. Yes, exactly. And that's on our Telegram. No, Telegram. Oh, Telegram, yes. Yes. So how do you get to our Telegram? If you go to forwhatisworth.com, there's currently a link in the upper right corner till the next miner joins the chat and ruins it for everybody. Hey, Tugs, I saw somebody chat in there in Telegram about whether or not that we have a P.O. box. Uh, we do, for now. Uh, it is, uh, also, if you go to forwhatitsworth.com and click contact us, um, I, I, here's the thing is, is you're probably driving, maybe you're soaking in the tub, maybe you just diddled yourself. I don't know what you're doing. Um, but I, you're not going to write this down. So go there and the address is for your reference. You can send us stuff, but we won't send it back. All right. Um, also make sure that you comment on the show site. Why do we want them to comment on the show t- site, Tugs? Because it looks like people listen to the show. <laughs> Awesome. Yep. Uh, also, um, has it? Do you know if the if the voting has closed yet? I don't. Uh, well, let's find out right now. You're talking about Ursa Major, right? I am. And when the internet starts working, this I'll sounds play. so so much like a can. Uh, oh no! You know what? It will have closed by the time this hits the air. So, thank you to those of you who voted and supported us. We don't know if we won. We won't know if we won. Someone's going to have to go to AC and find out. But the fact that we were nominated means a lot. So thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Also, we have put in to be at uh, Bullfuck. I mean, BLFC. Ah, topic joke. Why did you say that? Because topic joke. Uh, we have put in to be at BLFC for our live show. We do not know if we have been accepted, but uh, I have heard from Little Birds that they probably will let us come back and do it yet again. Um, so if you would like to join us there, we would welcome it. If you would like to join us there, come up on stage and get three hugs from Rue and maybe a grope. You can join <laughs> Fido on the $100 Patreon tier. The $100 tier gives you guaranteed swag, premium seating if they'll allow it, three hugs from Rue, and a lanyard. Plus, you get to come up on stage and be thanked personally during the show. Yes. Um, we love going to BLFC and doing a live show there, so it will be awesome. It will. So, 
What is the next topic, Mr. Tugs? Uh, done with housekeeping. Relax. Ah. Tell a friend about the show, please. Um, we would like to have more listeners. More listeners means more money, but it just means more listeners, really. More money? What? You have turned into this, like, greedy, like, what's <laughs> that word? Jew. It, Jew? Is that what that is? <laughs> I actually, you know what? I've decided that um, I don't think it's bad to say that someone's a Jew when it comes to money, because I think that's a good stereotype. You know what? But if somebody doesn't like being called a Jew, then you probably shouldn't call them a Jew. Okay. Just saying. Okay. What if they're a Jew and they're good with money? I don't feel like you should still call them a Jew when you're referencing how good they are with money. Ah. All right. Maybe, maybe a bad idea. You could get punched <laughs> in the face. Uh, I love my Jews. Um, and the last thing is, thank you, Firebreath, for your wonderful announcing work. Thank you to Koru for being our primary support cast member and Voss for backing his ass up, but also backing up Koru. And uh, to Rue for finally showing up at some point during this episode. And for Tugs for putting up with me. And editing all the crap. Yay! What? I don't put in crap. Nope. Do you ever, take it out. Do you ever edit yourself? I have censored myself heavily, yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <sighs> you know I do. Anywho. So... Um, please join us for the next episode. We would love to hear from you. Our next episode, we are going to be talking about... Halloween! Drum roll, please. Wait, I have a button for drum rolls. You ready? Furry Crushes! Ah! So, if you're a fan of Dr. Crusher and like her rendered as a furry, now is your time to write in and let us know. So, get those sick bay pens out. We want to hear from you. So, what exactly do we want to hear? I just said, what were you? Uh, like specifically, like I... do you do you have a fursuit crush? Oh. Do you have a a crush in the like the art world? Do you just have a thing for Nick Wilde? You know, like do you think that Bowser is the hottest thing on in it's, the the world? What bold. is your crush? It's bold. It's Bolt for you, but not for everybody. No, I I set the pace on this one. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so your furry crush is Bolt, right? I got a nine-inch let's, tattoo. Let's ask our guest, what is your furry crush? Me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tune in next episode. Currently, I'm certainly infatuated with Mr. Gideon Gray. Oh, okay. Pie dad. <laughs> Give me pie anytime. So, send us your emails. Yep. They will be due uh, the Friday after you hear this, assuming you listen on Sunday. So, they will be due on the 4th of May, uh, which is conveniently May the 4th, and then Revenge of the 5th. I don't know if we're recording on May the, on Cinco de Mayo, but whatever. All right. Well, this has been Rue. This is Tugs. Uh, none of our support cast is here. Do your thing, guest. And this is Keon. Oh, and my name is Bosco the Rat. And you've been listening to For For What what It's Worth. worth. Oh, damn it. Everyone knows this. Do it. Ah. Do it. Ready? Why? Because I love you. No. No.